0: Hey folks, welcome to A Talk in the Woods. I'm Lily Horn, and today we're sharing the conversation I had with Landon Fake, who is the Executive Director of the Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust, as well as a close family friend. Landon and I hiked up Great Pond Mountain, took in the views, and talked about a wide range of topics. Landon has a wealth of experience in the Maine outdoors in both conservation and recreation, and it was fun to catch up with him and hike in the wildlands. Thanks Landon. can you describe where we are
1: so we are at the mountain trailhead in the wildlands which is a 5000 acre preserve owned by the great pond mountain conservation trust and this trail goes up to the top of great pond mountain which is about a thousand twenty eight feet high and right up here on the left, there's also a mountain bike trail that takes off, a machine-built mountain bike trail. Cool. So this is our main preserve, and a lot of my job is managing this. It's all open to the public for a variety of uses, and it's, it's got 160 culverts and more than 20 miles of dirt road, and that's, our, that's where um, most of our maintenance budget goes.
0: As so far as managing a conservation organization or a land trust, what is your day-to-day work like?
1: Well, one of the great things is it's very varied. You know, some days it's walking up trails. Some days it's doing this, other days it's spending the day in front of a computer and sending email and talking on the phone like most administrative jobs. So it's a mix. Sometimes I'm focused on land deals, buying land. Right now we're actually selling a house. We bought a big parcel of land with a house on it. We're keeping the land and selling the house. So that's so. So those land transactions are a big part of it. And then management of the property, which is making sure trails are maintained and signed and making sure roads are as erosion-proof as possible, which is an ongoing challenge. They're old logging roads that were here when we bought the property, and we've tried to close some of them down, and we'll be closing others down. But still, we maintain a fair amount of mileage. And then I have three staff. One of them is the steward, who his main responsibility is the hands-on management of this property, and then outreach donor relations person and a forester who's it's a contract physician so you know a little bit of staff management human resources kinds of stuff
0: so you mentioned a forester so there is forestry happening on this land
1: yes there hasn't been any harvesting yet when when we got the property in 2005 it was pretty much clear cut and so we've been trying to grow trees to eventually be able to harvest. Um, in different places, we have different regimens going on as far as how we're managing it, and so the forester helps with that. We have a lot of diseased to beat. and so we're trying to have a more wider mix of trees that would have traditionally been in the northern forest.
0: So what types of trees would that be?
1: A mix of hardwood and softwood, pine, fir, spruce, a little bit of hackmatack, and then red oak, red maple, sugar maple, ash, beech, of course, a little bit of ironwood, a little bit of linden or basswood. I'm looking around to remember. Popple, poplar, quaking aspen.
0: And the diseased beech, I think I've seen that before. That's where it's bumpy looking and is that it, or am um, I thinking of a different tree disease?
1: No, that's that's probably it. That's,
0: yeah, like that.
1: It's a uh, invasive species. It came from somewhere else. It's a uh, well. It's two things. It's actually a bug that carries the fungus on it, and so it burrows into the bark, and the fungus is what does the damage to the tree. And they live on for a long time after they get infected, but it really changes the way the tree grows. And when you cut it down, the root sprouts that come up are typically infected as well. So see all these here have it, these young beeches.
0: Wow, yeah, that's very young.
1: Occasionally we'll see a, a pretty good sized tree that doesn't have any of it. So we try to protect those, hoping that eventually a strain will develop on its own that's somewhat resistant to it.
0: So kind of taking a step back, You grew up in Maine, right?
1: I can't say I was born here, but my family moved (laughs) to Lewiston when I was in high school. So I've been here mostly since then, not entirely. But I feel like this is where I want to be. This is this feels more like home than anywhere else I've been.
0: You mean Maine in general or this area? Yeah, Maine Maine in
1: general. general.
0: Yeah. When we were in the car, you mentioned the watershed. I was wondering if you could talk more about that, about the importance of this land in protecting the watershed.
1: Sure. So most natural systems in the, in the forest are impacted by the watershed and everything is downstream of everything else. So if you, well, for example, if this trail is eroding mineral soil, that soil can eventually get into a, well, actually pretty soon, get into a small stream which then washes it downstream to a bigger stream And eventually it ends up in alamusic lake so protecting watersheds means that you're you're insulating the property to from to a certain extent from outside influences if that makes sense
0: yeah that does make sense
1: this is our uh most acadian (laughs) national park like thing yeah i always walk up this and Pretend I'm in Acadia.
0: Yeah, these are all these stone steps leading up the trail.
1: By the same token, with watershed, there's a couple of major streams that come down into the wildlands. We don't own the property around them. They come from towns from Dedham and Holden. And so, you know, that water is coming into the wildlands, and we can't do much about that. So you're always limited.
0: Yeah, you can't really isolate one spot from another. So, you're doing some forestry, or will be in the future. And in addition, this is a place for hiking. You mentioned some cross-country skiing, some mountain biking. And how do you see the role of the wildlands in the community, and what is its importance to the area and to the state?
1: Well, I think it's a mix of things. It certainly it's a refuge and resource for the local communities, like a lot of other places in Maine. During the pandemic, our use in, in some places on this trail, for example, tripled. In this trail, looked entirely different than it did. A year and a half ago. It's three times as wide and goes around trees like this, so that recreation piece, or it's more than recreation, it's really a place for people to go to restore and recover. And then there's the forestry piece. We hope to eventually be doing small harvests here, which is a little bit of an economic driver for the community, as well as for us. It would bring in some money that we need to maintain trails and roads and then it's also uh it's a destination for many people especially mountain bikers now and so we hope that some of that brings people into the community to spend money in the community buy gas or meals or whatever so there's a little bit of economic development to it
0: you've worked in outdoor recreation and conservation for a long time now
1: Yep. So I've been going outside in Maine for a long time. My father took me out of seventh grade one spring to paddle the St. John River. And so I got the message early on that, you know, being outside was important. And, you know, when you're that age, it's totally fun. So my career has kind of followed this, I guess, arc that goes up and down or in and out between conservation and recreation. And in a lot of places, those overlap. Sometimes like my work at Outward Bound and at the snowball are much more focused on recreation, although there's components of, well, for both of them, forestry and conservation and sort of larger community things. And then I was on the board of a land trust in Bethel for a while, and now obviously I'm involved with this land trust. And so it's more about conservation and putting land aside that could be used for recreation or it, you know, it can just be used as a carbon sink to help with climate resiliency. And that's something that the trust goes back and forth about, or maybe not back and forth, but we're always straddling the needs of conservation versus recreation. And sometimes they work well together, and sometimes they conflict.
0: Yeah, for sure. This trail is so beautiful.
1: Well, I think there'll be blueberries up higher where there's a little more sun.
0: Yeah, it seems like all of the berries are coming a little bit earlier this year.
1: We kind of just stepped into and there's been little pieces of it but we just really stepped into what's called the low elevation bald habitat which is a, a community of plants that often live together and thrive on this kind of bare ledge sunny not really high in elevation but you know i think the I think the state says it's between 500 and 1,500 feet in elevation, pretty much close to the coast. The community consists of some alpine blueberries, broom crowberry, and three-tooth sink foil. And I'm looking, and yes, we have some right here. This is a rare plant called smooth sandwort. These little white flowers here. Oh, yeah. Um, So there, they're rare in Maine, and um, so we, we try to do what we can to protect them. They're, they're actually pretty tenacious. They, uh, although they're annuals, they do pretty well here. One of the ironies is when we say we try to protect them, like we're not doing very much with these right here, but they really thrive where the soil's been disturbed. So unless you have disturbed soil, you don't have smooth sandwort. So we're trying to figure out how you disturb the soil, but not too much
0: yeah <laughs> That's
1: so you can see here they uh, the water has been running down and moving the you know the little oh, wow. bits yeah. of granite and mineral soil and so that opens up a place for a sandwort seed to fall Wow um,
0: that is so cool obviously doing this work I'm sure you've learned so much about ecology but did you study ecology
1: no I've been trying to learn about it you know over the years and as I get opportunities it's kind of like forestry I don't have I've been around foresters enough and been in the woods that I've absorbed a little bit but um, I'm by no means a forester it's actually great we're we're here right at the perfect time the smooth sandworts works mm. in bloom
0: <laughs> that's so cool and I just saw a blue jay over there as well Big oh, yeah. One. oh yeah, I'm seeing lots of blueberries too. Yeah. Wow, it seems kind of early. Um, I don't know.
1: July? Uh, yeah, maybe a little early. But yeah, there's, there's a fair number of ripe ones right in there.
0: Yeah. So in the years that you've lived in Maine, in what ways have you seen the state change, and especially, I guess, the conservation world? And what changes do you think are coming or are necessary.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess thinking fairly recently, just the number of people going outside has increased incredibly. And it's, you know, it's not just people out for an afternoon walk. It's backcountry skiers and climbers and hikers. And I was, I was in Baxter last winter in February, and there were probably 50 cars in the A-Ball parking lot. And I've been there. I you don't know, 20 times in the winter. I've never seen probably more than 10 in the parking lot before. Wow. And, and there were people actually just up there for the day. And we hiked up high and got on the tablelands. And you know, I'm up there accustomed to being entirely alone. And you could see maybe a dozen people and people on skis and people hiking. And that was a little, I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say um, disappointing, but it was distracting, I thought. And it just made me wonder about you know that perennial question of how much use is good and when is it too much so and I, you know i i'm also in the business of promoting outdoor recreation you know we try to encourage people to come here and use this and become members and become attached to the land and support it with money or by volunteering so it's a mixed blessing i think ultimately there's going to be more regulation and more you know, fewer of the kind of campsites where you can just go there and know that it'll be empty. So, you know, more more managed trails and campsites. And, you know, uh, um, Baxter's been doing this for a while, but they they manage numbers. During the summer, they only let so many cars up to Roaring Brook, so that's the way they manage the numbers of people on the mountain. More of that is coming to other places, probably. We try to figure out how to manage it it's it's not easy so yeah i think the use thing is changing i think i think there's a resurgence of interest in public land the lmf bill just passed which will put 50 million dollars into buying land to be set aside mostly for recreation i think also one of the one of the encouraging trends is land trusts and other Landowners, land managers are recognizing the deep history of the land and how a lot of the land in Maine was once managed and lived on by Aboriginal people who, in a lot of places, did did a better job of it than we do. And so there's some of that sort of reckoning. It always catches in my throat a little bit when I say, well, we just acquired that parcel, you know, knowing that for thousands of years other people considered it theirs and lived on it and it has this whole separate history. I, I, think, I think generally the, the land trusts in Maine are starting to have a dialogue with the Wabanaki Confederacy.
0: And has the Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust been participating in
1: that? Um, a little bit. When we bought our latest piece, I got in touch with them and we had a couple conversations and then they came down here and we went out to the parcel or to where we could look at it and, uh, and just kind of talked about how they could be involved, which was good. I mean, they're, they're difficult conversations, but they're really necessary. And so I think, I think we'll, I hope we'll move in the direction of a dialogue around the land we manage and uh, making sure that, you know, it's, it's open to Penobscots or Passamaquodis. Those are the two groups in this area. So more smooth sandwort here. It's so easy to find at this time of year. You usually have to really search oh, for such tiny little plants.
0: Yeah, they are tiny.
1: Well, oh, wow. Let's see, we can go, um, let's go a little higher. Okay. We could could go up to the summit, but there's not, the views aren't as good from the summit. There's a lot of trees up there. I guess I guess actually yeah, there's fine. views kind of in other directions, but you can see why mountain bikers like it up here.
0: Oh, yeah. So what are you looking at here?
1: So that's Craig Pond right there, a really clean, deep pond that um, there's only a few camps on on the east side over there. You can see the floats and stuff, but that's that's what the hatchery is named after Craig Brook that flows out of it. Next, Next down, also in the same watershed, is Toddy Pond. And then if you look off this way, that's Penobscot Bay. And those are the Camden Hills over there. We're kinda of looking at the north end of Islesboro that sort of sits in the middle of the bay. That's Blue Hill there, very distinctive. And then you can see a little bit in the distance over there, higher mountains, and those are those are on Mount Desert, Acadia. Mm, okay. And it's I can't it's too Champlain and Cadillac are the big ones that, okay. that you can sort of see from here.
0: Okay, yeah. And so how much of what's in front of us is the wildlands?
1: It depends. Like right here we own kind of to the bottom of the ledges, the trees, um, where the trees start. And, uh, and then and there's a corner right below us and that line cuts right across the top of Mead Mountain and goes not in a straight line necessarily, all the way down to Route 1, and I don't know if you can... Well, see the cell tower?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that's just this side of Route 1, so that line goes down to Route 1. That's Valley Road there. I don't know if you can see a few little pieces of it, the dirt road that comes up in this valley. Yeah. That's one of our main roads, and so so we own up to the tops of the peaks over there. there. That's Oak Hill. Actually, we should keep going. We can see around the corner a little more. Yeah. Maybe a little more. Well, that one's Flag Hill. We own up to the top of that, right just to the top. So that that Eastern line kind of just runs north and south. There's several zigs and zags in it. and we're, we're actually trying to acquire a little piece over there that fills in one of the gaps and another piece right here that fills, would fill in this corner and yeah. So lots of, lots of different habitat. You can see the wetland down there
0: Yeah.
1: and the kind of the string of dead trees is the upper reaches of Hot Hole Brook. And it gets dammed up by beavers and the trees die and then the beavers move on and the trees eventually come back.
0: That's so cool. Beavers are incredible.
1: Yeah. You can see that little scar in the hillside there, that's our gravel pit. Okay. That we use to for gravel to maintain the roads. It's not great gravel but And there's other places like you can see a couple up there, but this one especially uh little clearings that we try to keep clear both for the view and and for the habitat you know different different things live in open fields and live in the forest and a lot of them live like to live right on the edge so they can go between the field and the forest
0: Mm. i'm sure you've seen so many different animals but like could you name a few animals that you've seen on this land
1: well, I've I've seen on camera a lot more than I've seen in
0: person. <laughs> okay, yeah. um,
1: but there's there's definitely bobcats here. There's um, bears here, moose, deer, um, otters, plenty of porcupines. Yeah. What else? Um, I don't. I would. I would. I would guess there's lynx here. Um, I haven't seen any, but I know there's um, links and have been seen in Dedham and Holden. Holden, so I would expect they would they would hang out here where they have 5,000 acres to stay out of trouble in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's well, um, and then of course in the in the streams there's all the usual brook trout and um, alewives. Alewives are like salmon. They they Live out in the ocean, but it, but then come back up streams to spawn. So every spring the alewives come into Alamosa Lake and up into the Dead River and up into I think I think they some of them make it as far as Hot Hole Pond. There are several eagles that soar around over over the Dead mm. River.
0: And so these ponds are freshwater.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can't quite see it in that depression is where the Naramissic flows south. And the, the Naramissic is brackish. The tide comes up, it would come up further, but there's a dam. Um, and so salt water comes up some ways up the Naramissic. So that, that, yeah, that has its own ecology there.
0: So what do you think some of your favorite ways to enjoy the outdoors are, especially in Maine, but I guess in general too?
1: Well, I love just walking like this for the afternoon. I guess when I'm more serious, I I typically go on one four or five day canoe trip every summer up north somewhere. That's something I can do with my wife and we have friends in Bethel we usually do it with. I still alpine and Nordic ski and that's kind of my main exercise in the winter. I used to be a fairly serious whitewater paddler and i bought a new boat or a used boat a couple years ago and i have ambitions to paddle that more but i'm not sure that's going to happen my shoulders aren't aren't liking that so much Um, and i used to climb a lot and i still do that on occasion i think the last time i went was with your dad yeah Um, and i try to get to katahdin every year, either summer or winter. Usually it's winter, and so sort of winter climbing, mountaineering, on a ever decreasing level of seriousness. I'd say those are the main, the main ones.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for taking me up here. This is beautiful. Sure. It's a great view.
1: Yeah, it's great for me to come up here too.
0: Thanks for listening to A Talk in the Woods. For more conversations about Maine's land, water, and people, check out other episodes, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a product of the Maine Mountain Collaborative, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about our mission, visit mainemountaincollaborative.org.